You're listening to Fertile Minds Radio, and I'm your host, Hilary Rowland. Fertile Minds Radio is your place to learn how to maximize your fertility as well as your partner's. We cover the physical, emotional, and spiritual aspects of a fertility journey. You'll find tools to help you feel empowered and confident as you move from infertility to pregnancy to parenthood. If you're looking for holistic wisdom and a plan to help you reclaim your wellness, to help you create a healthy family for generations to come, you're in the right place. This is Fertile Minds Radio. Good morning, beautiful people. Or afternoon or evening, wherever you are, it's morning here. I'm so, so happy to be back with you for the fifth season of Fertile Minds Radio. I've got to say, my mind has sort of a hard time wrapping itself around the fact that we've been at this for five years. And I say we because it takes an entire team of people to bring this free information source to you. But I'm so happy to do it, especially when I think about how many people around the globe that it has potentially helped. So if you are one of our avid listeners big thank you to you because without you, it would just be me talking into a mic. Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite herbs that you may have heard about if you've been doing your own sleuthing on the interwebs, or maybe you're even taking it. It's called Vitex. Some people call it Chastberry as well. Always fun to see how many different names there are for the same herb and making it just a little bit more confusing. But rest assured, Vitex and Chastberry are the exact same thing. Vitex is used for many conditions under the scope of women's wellness. The eclectics used it for the treatment of infertility, fibroids, PMS, and menopause. And because of that, there's a lot of buzz around how it's sort of the panacea for all things women's health. And to a certain extent, it kind of is. But like most tools, you need to understand when to use it and when not to use it, and more importantly, how much of it to use. I feel like this is really important info to get to you so that you can safely use it for fertility and for possibly other things that might come up on your journey as a woman. Health issues are bound to happen as we just have natural fluxes in our menarche of when we get our period to our fertile years to perimenopause and menopause. And there are high chances that some of you will unfortunately get fibroids like I did. And Vitex can be very useful for at least keeping those at bay or the same size. So I hope that you file this one away as an herb that you can use for fertility, but perhaps in other areas of your health. Not too long ago, Vitex was thought to work by potentially raising progesterone levels, sort of the way that a phytoestrogen herb like Donguai, red clover, or hops could raise estrogen levels by ingesting it. But it doesn't work quite like that. It's much more complex and actually works with the brain to stimulate the production of luteinizing hormone. LH is one of those hormones that helps to induce a timely ovulation in concert with estrogen and and testosterone. Where Vitex really shines is in the treatment of infertility when we are addressing ovulatory challenges within subfertility. It supports the production of LH, which hopefully stimulates the ovary to ovulate and then produces ample progesterone as a result of the corpus luteum that is created upon ovulation. So it can be helpful for ovulation disorders as well as luteal phase insufficiency. So let's talk about ovulation disorders first. They make up about 25% of the root cause of infertility cases in industrialized nations. How you would know if you were experiencing ovulation disorders, there's a couple clues. 
So for instance, if you were charting your basal body temperatures and you notice that it takes days or even a week to get a drop in temperature and then a rise of a degree to signify that you are ovulating, you might think, hey, something's not quite right. Because normally we want to see that drop and rise happen in 24 to 48 hours for a healthy ovulation where the egg is just right in its maturity. You want to think about Goldilocks. We don't want it to come out too fast and we don't want it to come out too slow. That's the first clue when you're having an issue ovulating. Or if you're using OPK strips like urine strips to track your ovulation, you could see LH surges, but never the peak. So if you're using the kind with the smiley faces, perhaps you never get that flashing smiley face. Another clue would be long, unpredictable cycles or no no periods at all. You might see this after coming off of birth control if your body is having a hard time jump-starting ovulation again, because if the oral contraceptives work correctly, then they stopped you from ovulating. Most people don't even know that that's how oral contraceptives work, is that they stop you from ovulating, and then there's a backup method of having too thin of a lining so that if you did ovulate and fertilization happened, that the lining would be inadequate to foster that pregnancy. Well, that's why the Catholic Church says that you can't use that as birth control because of that like 5% chance of that backup method. So all that being said, just a little fun uh, understanding for you. Sometimes it can take bodies a while to get used to ovulating again. Sometimes it's not uncommon for someone to come into my office because it's been nine months to a year after they've come off birth control. I don't want to scare you. Some women go on birth control and they're just fine ovulating right as rain the next day. But Vitex can be amazing if you fall into that category of just missing your period after you've come off oral contraceptives. So according to the NIH, ovulatory disorders include hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is basically not getting your period. One of the top causes of secondary amenorrhea is functional hypothalamic amenorrhea. And don't worry, you don't have to understand all these big words. I'm just giving them to you so that if you've received a diagnosis or you've heard your doctor or provider saying certain things, then you understand what exactly is happening. This results when there's severe hypoestrogenemia and the cessation of the menstrual cycle. So hypo means not enough estrogen. And the three main types of FHA are psychological stress, intense exercise, and disordered eating that result in your period going missing. Another type of ovulation disorder is PCOS. A third type is premature ovarian insufficiency. So glad that they have renamed that. It used to be premature ovarian failure, like terrible to even say that somehow we're failing, but now it's called premature ovarian insufficiency. And then the fourth kind is basically pituitary adenoma, which means there is a small tumor on the pituitary gland in your brain, and this causes uh, prolactin to go high. Now, prolactin is a hormone that uh, can stop you from ovulating, and that can also go high from other things like stress or breastfeeding as well, which we'll talk about in a minute. So as I said before, I love Vitex to kickstart the ovaries when you're coming off of birth control. Or if I see that the estrogen is low or low normal on labs, or a period has suddenly gone missing and we don't really understand why. And I did mention that PCOS was one of the ovulation disorders, but I don't always use Vitex for it, and here's why. Um, If you have PCOS, then you likely understand that you 
either have or are prone to high LH levels. If Vitex increases LH, then we don't want to include it in your protocol. Not everyone with PCOS, though, has a super high LH. This is because PCOS is a syndrome, not a disease. So when things are a syndrome, you want to think of it like a spectrum, kind of the way that you would look at like Asperger's and autism being sort of under this umbrella of a, a neurological issue um, or a developmental issue in the brain. You think of PCOS as having these different phenotypes. So you might have a woman that is overweight and has really high androgens and never ever gets her period, or you might have someone that is normal weight and her periods are just really sporadic and her androgens are normal, or you might have somebody that's really underweight and her periods come once a season and you can have everything in between. So if you have a diagnosis of PCOS or you suspect that you have had it or have it, then it's really important to look at your current labs before you decide to use Vitex, in my opinion. And we'll get into all these different phenotypes of PCOS in a future episode. That's definitely one that I wanna cover. We've talked about how, what it is and how to treat it with botanicals and supplements in a previous episode, but we haven't really talked about the differences in the phenotypes, which we will get to. Now, if you've done labs through myself or an OB or reproductive endocrinologist, or maybe you've done like a home kit, like modern fertility, uh, and hopefully you've done that on day two to three of your menstrual cycle in order for that to be accurate, what you want to look at is the ratio of FSH, follicle stimulating hormone, to LH, the luteinizing hormone. For healthy ovulation, we like to see FSH to be greater or equal to LH. We don't like to see LH higher than FSH that early in the cycle. That alerts you to start looking for other markers of PCOS, like high androgen levels, which is testosterone or DHEA, which not all PCOS diagnoses have, by the way. Also looking at the appearance of the ovaries on an ultrasound, specifically looking for cysts is another thing that you can do to really kind of nail down a diagnosis of PCOS. And again, not all women have that uh, textbook pearl necklace of cysts. Some have just hardened or larger ovaries than normal with no cysts. If your FSH to LH markers are in a normal two to one ratio with FSH being on top or one to one, then you're likely a good candidate for Vitex. And at the end of this podcast, we'll get into other contraindications as well as um, how long to take it and do a trial run for if this applies to you. So Premature ovarian insufficiency, uh, which we just touched on above, is also called premature menopause or premature ovarian failure, sadly, in some literature. And it is the partial or total loss of reproductive and hormonal function of the ovaries before age 40 because of follicular dysfunction or early loss of eggs. So you might see like a really low antrophollicle count on it on an ultrasound signifying that there's just hardly any follicles being stimulated or really long cycles where we see um, uh, ovulation really not happening often or even in a timely manner. You also have some other markers in your hormones that would suggest this particular diagnosis. And then that last one that I touched on is has to do with prolactin levels. So if you have high prolactin levels, then you definitely want to give Vitex a try, in my opinion. As I mentioned earlier, prolactin can be high 
due to breastfeeding because it is the hormone that basically acts as an evolutionary stopgap when you are breastfeeding to try and prevent you from ovulating so that you're not trying to feed a life and grow life at the same time because that would be a significant pull on your body. Now you can do this, but in Chinese medicine, we refer to that as a pull on your essence or your jing, basically your ability to pass down really great genetics. So prolactin is a natural way for your body to ensure that that doesn't happen. The other reason that it can be high is a tumor or really high sustained long periods of stress. We often see prolactin elevated in moderate to severe PMS or PMDD. And Vitex is believed to work well at reducing PMS symptoms because it suppresses the release of prolactin from the pituitary gland. Because of this, it could also make an excellent choice when prolactin levels are elevated due to stress causing an anovulatory cycle. One study published in the Journal of Women's Health and Gender-Based Medicine found that after being treated with Vitex for three menstrual cycles, 93% of patients reported a decrease in the number of PMS symptoms or a complete end of PMS complaints. That's pretty awesome if you've ever suffered from bloating, irritability, moodiness, tender breasts, insomnia, all those things, constipation that can come with PMS. Just to take one single herb for three months and have that go away, amazing. So now let's talk briefly about luteal phase insufficiency or deficiency, which you might be you might have heard referred to as LPD, luteal phase deficiency. What this is, is the phase of the menstrual cycle from ovulation to menses when it is shorter from 12 days. Now, some literature will say that it's 10 days. My personal preference in the clinic is that I see it uh, 12 days and no less. And that's because it takes 10 days for that egg to be fertilized and get a firm foothold and be producing a lot enough HCG to hold that pregnancy in most cases. Ideally, your luteal phase is actually around 14 days, so two weeks. How short the luteal phase is gives you a clue as to how severe the hormonal imbalance may be. So if you're somebody that has like a 21-day cycle for you know, day one of one period to day one of the next, we're kind of missing an entire week in there. Not only that, do we not have enough progesterone likely, but you're probably ovulating pretty early. So that might actually indicate that the maturity of the egg is not quite there. Progesterone insufficiency or luteal phase deficiency accounts for close to 10% of infertility cases. And the luteal phase can be short for a couple of reasons. Either you don't have a strong enough ovulation or you had an empty follicle and it resulted in your, and the result was that your corpus luteum didn't produce enough progesterone or your cortisol hormones, which is a stress hormone is super high and feeding off of progesterone, causing it to be used up faster. And that's really important to understand because progesterone is what allows the body to hold a pregnancy once fertilization has occurred. When it's all used up in the body or reached what it's called its half-life, if you can think back to chemistry class, you'll remember what that term is. And there's no evidence of HCG in the body, meaning that you haven't been emitting that from a fertilized embryo. Then the signaling in the brain causes the uterine lining to shed. Okay, so if we don't have a lot of progesterone to begin with, that's where we start seeing those shortened luteal phases. And you can understand that if the embryo, if the egg needs 10 days approximately to be fertilized, if the egg needs 
10 days approximately to be fertilized and then implant and get a really good foothold before the uterine line sheds at the bare minimum 10 days. If you have not enough progesterone, it's so sad to think that you might have fertilization happening and then it's just like a landslide inside your uterus. Like there's just the integrity of the uterine lining is not there to hold that pregnancy. Upon hearing this, you might just think, well, why wouldn't I just give myself progesterone cream? And you could. That is a treatment in many IVF clinics where whether you're talking about using IUI or IVF, and you can get progesterone cream over the counter to administer three days post-ovulation if you suspect that you have luteal phase insufficiency. If you had a positive pregnancy test, then you would want to speak with your OB right away and include progesterone testing with your HCG blood labs to decide together how much and for how long to continue using progesterone. If the pregnancy test is negative at day 28, then you would stop the progesterone and wait for a period. You'd basically wait for what was in your body to reach its half-life, and then you would get a period or what you might hear some providers refer to as a withdrawal bleed. This can take a few days depending on how much progesterone you are using and how your body metabolizes it. There's another drawback to using progesterone over the counter though, is that if you're accidentally buying one that binds to androgen receptors, you could cause high incidences of hypospadia in male babies. That's why I don't recommend over-the-counter progesterone, and I advise that you have an OB or an RE prescribe it with that question in mind, because they are going to understand specifically the chemistry of which different types of progesterone are the safest to use in a fertility setting. Because a lot of times you see over-the-counter progesterone just being used in menopause. So again, I have no idea how to tell you which one is binding to testosterone or androgens. And I don't think that you should be the one trying to decide that your medical provider should. Outside of that, if you're using one that doesn't bind to androgen receptors, it should be safe to use to hold a pregnancy. And they do it all the time in IVF. But there's one other drawback to using over-the-counter progesterone that I think all women in the United States need to take into consideration now. And that is miscarriage. Progesterone, like I said, used all the time in IVF, but we're typically using those with chromosomally tested embryos, meaning that we know that if we use progesterone to increase the odds of hanging on to that pregnancy, miscarriage rates would be lower because the embryo has been tested for genetic abnormalities. If you use it in a natural cycle or IUI where the genetic integrity of the developing embryo is unknown, and you have a miscarriage due to genetic issues, which by the way, is the most common contributing factor to miscarriage, it's going to take longer for your body to go into that miscarriage on its own, even after stopping the progesterone, because you've got a ton of HCG there. So you are likely looking at two to four weeks before bleeding happens on its own. If you consider that most miscarriages happen around what is deemed six weeks of pregnancy, and your OB won't likely see you until eight to 10 weeks to confirm pregnancy, you could be in dangerous territory if you need a DNC, depending on which state you live in since Roe v. Wade has been overturned. A DNC, for those of you that don't know, is a medical abortion. Many states no longer allow DNCs past six weeks or at all. So you see my concern for using progesterone and not knowing that you've had a missed pregnancy, meaning that the embryo or the fetus is no longer viable. It has stopped growing, but we don't know that because we don't have any signs of spotting or bleeding until it's way too late. Okay. So something to consider. 
again, really feel like (laughs) this show does a great job of looking at all of the holistic reasons between taking something, whether it's natural or prescribed, and what that would possibly mean in terms of outcomes. This is one of the most important reasons why I prefer to use Vitex instead. It naturally raises your own progesterone over time by strengthening the hormonal feedback loops between the hypothalamus and pituitary ovarian axis. This can also help in terms of how healthy you feel in the pregnancy and how breastfeeding occurs. Because remember, all of those feedback loops are hinged on the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland. So if we're strengthening that with Vitex, it makes sense that overall our hormonal integrity would be better throughout pregnancy, breastfeeding, and possibly postpartum. I recommend trying Vitex for six to nine months, depending upon age and your lab values. Vitex has been shown to improve fertility, particularly for women with luteal phase defect or deficiency uh, in several studies. In one trial, 48 women aged 23 to 39 who were diagnosed with infertility took Vitex once daily for three months. During the three-month trial period, seven women became pregnant and 25 women experienced normalized progesterone levels, which can increase the chances for pregnancy in later cycles. I also find it helpful to stall the growth of uterine fibroids with Vitex. So if you're someone that knows that you have fibroids and your doctor said, hey, you're not really a candidate for taking these out right now, they're too small, or they're in the wall of the uterus and that's going to cause us to have to cut through your uterus and then that would cause you to have to wait a year before falling pregnant so that you don't possibly hemorrhage when you give birth then you may want to look at controlling the fibroids naturally for a period of time and then trying. And I say, and then trying because the dose is going to be very different when you're using Vitex for fibroids versus when you're using it for fertility. The way that it can help stall the growth of fibroids is that it can return some of the balance between progesterone and estrogen, lessening the estrogen dominant presentation that most women with fibroids experience. So if this applies to you, you might want to try treating the fibroids with the Vitex for three months and then dropping down to the recommended doses for infertility for an additional three to nine months and then monitoring the growth of the fibroid at least once in that time period. And the same is true for endometriosis. Some practitioners use Vitex for endometriosis. It is something that I will try, but I do find that there are some higher chances of unwanted side effects with endometriosis that typically occur along the lines of mood and not feeling so great. So it's not always a win if you know that you have um, moderate to severe endometriosis. And in some women, it can work like a charm. So what are the safe doses? For infertility, you want to take 160 to 240 milligrams daily. Okay, so that's once a day. 160 to 240 milligrams a daily. There's a little bit of a range there. You're going to find that different uh, manufacturers of Vitex have it in different available milligrams. You can also kind of get around this by using a tincture where you can change the uh, dose. So you could start perhaps at 160 with the tincture and then slowly work your way up to about 200 to 240 and see how you tolerate it. That would be sort of a preferred way to do it other than just buying a pill. 
For PMS, you want to take 400 milligrams daily before breakfast. This is going to give you the highest opportunity to feel good throughout the day and not have so many PMS symptoms. For endo, you're going to have it up around 400 milligrams twice daily. And again, use this with caution with a provider. Monitor your mood on a scale of 1 to 10 and any other symptoms that you feel like coincide with the start of Vitex. For uterine fibroids, it's going to be 400 milligrams twice daily. And if you are someone that happens to be listening for hormonal acne, you just want to use a mild dose of 160 milligrams once a day. All right. So when don't we take this, right? We've already talked about endo and PCOS being sort of gray areas where you want to involve a provider and make sure that you have lab works and have sort of a trial and error period with it. But there are some other contraindications to consider. Most women do tolerate Vitex really, really well. And that's why you have heard about it for eons, treating everything under the sun in women's health. And most women can stay on it perfectly fine for about a year or until conception occurs. You will want to stop upon a positive pregnancy test. I know there's some stuff out there on the internet that says that you should like taper down and continue it into the first few weeks of pregnancy. I don't agree with that because it's, again, it's not increasing your progesterone levels. If you're worried about your progesterone, have your OB or your RE or your provider test that. Um, But I do think that it is best to stop once you have conceived and have that positive test Um, because A, I'm conservative about what I put in the body when you're pregnant and B, what we talked about around miscarriage. Um, and a small amount of women who get emotionally aggravated by it, um, there's a little bit of decreased mood or depression. And I think that this is something that we want to pay attention to. If the mood is significantly decreased, then you want to discontinue it right away. So really being in touch with your own mental emotional status is important when you start this and as you're using it. Um, Again, if there's going to be side effects, you're probably going to recognize that in the first few uh, weeks or at least the first cycle of it. Um, I do recommend that if the low mood is mild, that you try it for one month and see how you feel after that or one menstrual cycle rather. It's important to note that it can temporarily change the length of your uh, menstrual cycles, meaning like from when you start one period to the next. So it's not completely uncommon to see some outliers that come in and say, hey, I was 28 days right as rain, and now my cycle is 32 days, what gives? Well, that could be the elongating of the luteal phase. Or they say, hey, I was 28 days, and now all of a sudden I'm 26, and I look at their their chart and I'm like, yeah, but you ovulated um, a little sooner instead of day 16, you ovulated at day 14. And now we're having that longer uh, luteal uh, phase like we want to see. So just because it changes the length of your cycle does not mean that it's bad. We always want to look at the whole cycle where you're ovulating and the time in the follicular phase as well as the luteal phase. I advise most women to give it a try for one season or three menstrual cycle and see if it levels off. And the cycle usually does rectify itself into a pretty normal timing. It's important to note that um, it is contraindicated uh, if you have hormone-sensitive health conditions like breast cancer or like we talked about before with PCOS with a high LH or severe endometriosis 
Um, also contraindicated in pregnancy. Please do not take this in pregnancy. Um, I also don't like it when you're breastfeeding because it can dry up your milk. Again, there are some accounts that it helps with breast milk production in the very beginning of postpartum. However, uh, most of the literature I've looked at says that it actually dries up breast milk. And that would be by getting you ovulating again quite regularly. Um, if you have Parkinson's disease or known mental illness to a place where you have had to take SSRIs or SNRIs, you want to proceed cautiously with Vitex uh, with your provider and monitoring your mood. And I don't think you should use it all with Parkinson's. So again, talk to your provider before you use it in any form. If you have any of those uh, conditions or you've had any of those conditions in your history. I think that is responsible use of, of herbalism and Western medicine together and to an integrative model that will serve you best with the best outcomes, not just with getting pregnant, but your overall physical and mental emotional health as well. So as you can see, the use of herbs and supplements can be quite complex, even when you're using a single herb that is considered somewhat of a panacea for women's health issues. And that is exactly why I'm now giving out my fertility supplement guide for free to the masses, because there's a lot of misinformation out there, especially on social media. And I just really want to take this moment to urge you to consider the source of the information that you are taking in around your fertility. Like, I know that there's a lot of well-meaning influencers out there, um, but just ask yourself, like, do they have any medical credentials and experience treating infertility in the many forms that it comes in? Or are they just someone that had their own success conceiving and now they think that what they did applies to every fertility challenge? And is their intention solely to make money? Like making money is not a bad thing and is what makes the world go around. But you want to look at somebody's intentions of why they're getting up on their soapbox, so to speak, and what their credentials are. And just in case we've never met or I haven't helped you in person or you're new to the podcast, I do have medical credentials. I have a Bachelor of Science in Physiology, a master's degree in Chinese medicine with a certificate in herbalism in addition to acupuncture, and I've been board certified for reproduction and obstetrics since 2013, and I've been practicing specializing in the field of fertility for almost 15 years now. I also spent some time as a doula, so lots of understanding, not just how natural fertility works, but how uh, integrative medicine can work in terms of involving IVF practitioners, along with uh, more holistic routes and everything from home birth to cesareans and everything in between. So if you're on my email list, you can grab this uh, supplement guide that I've created quite easily. And if you're not, you should totally get on there. Or you can head over to Instagram or threads and it's in my bio where you can, uh, can download uh, that living document, so to speak. And I say it's a living document because I put it on Google Drive on purpose so that I could update it as research presents itself and evolves. And there's also direct links in each of my protocols for different designations of fertility challenges into my full script dispensary, where you're always going to receive 20% off because again, I'm not giving this out because I am fiscally motivated. I'm giving it out for information and not all things in fertility land need to cost a million dollars. So 
I hope that you will head over to one of those places to grab your copy and take a look and see how you can uh, potentially increase your odds of conceiving through natural ways. And if you have any questions, always feel free to DM me. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's content and found it useful. This podcast is a labor of love from an entire team of people. We would love it if you shared the wisdom that you just banked or left a review on iTunes. Reviews help women just like you across the globe find this valuable information when it's their turn to conceive. We would consider it the ultimate compliment. Bye for now.